Necessity is the mother of invention So get ready for a mother of a ride Gas up your laptops, your tablets and devices Cause our asses are all quarantined inside More and more every day The world it feels so very far away Less and less things to do So pull up a chair and let us talk to you I'm Summer. I'm Andrea. She teaches English. She's a historian. And this is the More and More Everyday Podcast. A daily blog and interview series to capture and preserve the stories of students and teachers in a world on the brink of change. 2020, the year of COVID-19, quarantine, and social change. Hi, let's get started. Uh, the very first thing we'd like you to do is just introduce yourself, your name, where you work, and what is your area of expertise? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for uh, having me on the show. This is a great opportunity, I think, to um, kind of shine some light on uh, issues that we're uh, dealing with right now in our country and in our world. Um, to begin, my name is Guy Goodman. Uh, I'm the Dean of Student Enrollment Services uh, for South Mountain Community College. Uh, and you know, just excited to be able to share perspective. And uh, I think first and foremost, it's important for everyone to understand this is my perspective. Uh, it's not the perspective of South Mountain Community College. Uh, it's not the perspective of uh, even my family, for that matter. It's my perspective, and you know, I own it. Uh, and and I think it's important for everyone to understand that right up front. Great. Well, I do. We do appreciate your perspective. So, how are you doing? Um, it's been a rough. I want to say going from the COVID to now the murder of George Floyd. It's been a just. I can, how can I say it? Just tumultuous experience for us all. Sure. What, have, what has been some of your highs and your lows? Sure. Well, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, as I sit here in my home looking out onto the front lawn, um, that's probably been the, the biggest high for me. Uh, I've, I tell everyone, you know, I've got uh, a very short 10-second commute, uh, and I love it. Uh, I love being able to just wake up. Uh, and if there's something that I'm thinking about uh, that needs to be taken care of at work, then I could run downstairs and take care of it, um, you know, seven days a week. And uh, so I'm, I'm finding myself to be uh, very, very productive uh, in this time frame. Um, you know, I, I've also recognized uh, that I'm in a lot of meetings, uh, you know, through this because uh, – being at home has really allowed me to focus in on, on time that I spend in the office. Um, so I, again, and I think that's both a positive and a negative. Um, I think uh, also positively just being able to be around my family. Uh, it's great. You know, I, I am a homebody, so it's given me an opportunity to, you know, have my wife in the other room uh, early on as we were uh, finishing up the spring semester in late March into April and May. You know, I had both of my sons sitting at the dining room table or in, in their bedrooms doing their work because they both had to finish up their uh, senior years, one in college and one in high school. So, um, you know, they had to finish theirs and we were all fighting for bandwidth, uh, which was which was unique at times. You know, I'm, you know, I, th I think uh, and, and actually at, at one particular point I had our our. Uh, uh, our oldest son's girlfriend staying with us for a couple of weeks. So she was also finishing work. So we had five people, 
you know, trying to fight for, for the uh, virtual space to get things done. Uh, but it was great because we were all together. Uh, and and one of one of my strengths is connectedness, and uh, I think that was where I really felt comfortable uh, because we were all there, we were all together, uh, and at five o'clock we all sat around the dinner table and were able to talk about how our day was, uh, and that that was a great thing. Now, on the flip side, uh, I'm I'm somewhat of a people person um, professionally, uh, so I miss being around. Uh, the staff. I miss being around the faculty and the conversations that we have just in passing. Um, but I know that'll come back. Uh, I, I know it's still there. And I know there are times when, you know, I just uh, click a button and, and there's a buddy, uh, you know, virtually, and we can just continue those conversations. So we make the best of the situation that we have right now. But then, you know, the, the issues with Brown and Taylor, the issue with uh, George Floyd, the issue with Deion Johnson, the issue with uh, fill in the blank that, you know, have plagued our country over the last, uh, I don't know how many years, um, you know, but specifically George Floyd and Deion Johnson most recently. Um, it, it's been a, a difficult time. Uh, it's been a difficult time in our household. We all, we all take these uh, situations in uh, personally. Um, and, you know, we all deal with them personally. Some, some of us look introspectively and some of us need others to kind of talk through uh, situations. And um, we're just fortunate because we are together. We're there when, uh, when we all want to talk and we all can sit down and talk about some things. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah. Thank you, Guy. When I first launched this project, my students were really interested in this idea of the watershed moment. So um, historians track change over time, which is gradual, and they also track watershed, something that was an impetus that changed, you know, everything from this way to this way. And so I'm so curious right now in modern history, if you look back on the last three or four months of your life, can you actually pinpoint a day or a series of days where it felt like everything changed for you? I think probably, uh, you know, around the uh, George Floyd situation, um, you know, as I mentioned, we've had plenty of examples of uh, situations where uh, black males have been, um, let's call it what it is, they, they've been brutalized uh, by uh, the police. Uh, and members of the police, let me let me be clear, not all police, but members of the police force. Um, and uh, so it, it's not as if George Floyd's situation was new, uh, but it somehow hit me and it hit my family differently. Uh, not real sure exactly why that is, uh, but it did. And, and I think that that moment or that that period was was really when uh, our younger son um, really started to articulate his thoughts around it. Um, you know, as he's uh, having some issues in, in trying to finish his high school career and, and kind of now just kind of working through those, um, all of that emotion that has been built up for four years. And then uh, Mr. Floyd uh, gets murdered. Um, and it just seemed to just compound one on another. And me and his mother were just there. And we're watching, and and we then uh, are 
the recipients of this floodgate that opens and just everything comes out and um, you know, he's willing to talk and he wants to kind of talk through any sharing and we're sending uh, text messages, information back and forth, back and forth. And uh, it's, it was just, it was a, a beautiful moment, but it was a difficult moment. Um, but in, in my eyes as dad, uh, I saw him grow. Uh, in my eyes as a black male, I saw a black man rising, if you will, uh, and wanting to have a voice and wanting to share that voice. Um, and, and watching, it's interesting, watching him be very close to where I was at that time in some of the things. And, and um, it, for me, it was during the, uh, um, the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, because my parents lived in Oklahoma, uh, or live in Oklahoma, and my mom actually worked in downtown Oklahoma City, um, two blocks from the Murr building. So, I mean, it hit close to home. But even after that, I, I actually wrote a sh very short poem uh, that I, uh, just out of, out of my feelings, uh, and I put it behind a picture, and I think it's probably still sitting behind a picture on my mom's piano right now. But it just was that emotion that came out of me uh, centered around the fact that we as a country were not together. Uh, and we, we just were hurting from within. And I think this situation was very, very similar for him is for as much as we want to um, believe in our country, our country is also failing us uh, and, and failing us as, as black men. Uh, so uh, it, it, you talk about that watershed moment. I think just, you know, being there with him. Um, and then it's, it's caused me personally to say, you know, these are emotions that he has. I have them. I need to act upon them. I need to do something. So that's, that's kind of where I am now. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, wow. Interesting story about the Oklahoma sitting, you know, city bombing. I, I do remember, I do remember that. And then you also spoke about, I, I think there's something different. I mean, there's so many, been so many murders, but there's something that just was really, I don't know that we sat and watched somebody be murdered, you know, and we, we hear, we hear this story, that story, but something about this one really, um, yeah, really, really, you know, spoke, spoke to the situation. Yeah, Andrew, if I could, even in that space, um, I think one of the things that was so glaring for us was just the fact that we saw it. Yes. Um, and and it's, it's one thing to read about it in the newspaper. Uh, it's one thing to see, you know, a story about it on Yahoo News or on CNN or on Fox News or whatever, but to actually yeah. see the video. See it. Um, we, we literally watched a lynching. Uh, and, yeah. and that's, you know, you, you, take the, you take the video of, of former Officer Chauvin mm -hmm. on top of George Floyd and take a picture of that. And then you think about the history textbooks mm -hmm. that we have pictures of black men hanging in trees. Mm -hmm. It's the same image. Same thing. The same thing. Exactly the same image. But it's 50, 60 years apart. Yeah. And that tells the story that we've not moved. We've, we've not, not moved. moved. Exactly. Yes. And we have to move. 
we have to. I think this uh, you know, we, we have a responsibility out. to move. We we have a responsibility not only for our next generation. We have a responsibility for our generation. We have a responsibility of, for generations or two generations past to move out of the space. Yeah, we can't stay here. We can't. It's this. This is it. This is it. So with that, and with all the protests um, around the murder of George Floyd, what do you think the Black Lives Matter looks like at South Mountain Community College after this? What does that mean? Well, I, I think part of part of me has a fear. Uh, and that fear is that we will take this moment in and that it will be fleeting as all of the others have been. Um, not to all of us, but systemically and, and even on our campus. Um, so I have a fear that that's going to happen, and then we're going to go back and we're going to get back into our routines. And, and I think especially as we move out of the COVID-19 era, if you will, uh, and get back to campus, get back into the, our, our comfort zones, our processes, and, and our routines, this, the fear of mine is that this kind of fades away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we need to be doing uh, on our campus around Black Lives Matter at South Mountain Community College is to make sure that it doesn't fade away. Uh, what does that look like? Uh, I hope, as I had fears, I have hopes as well. I hope that that means we have staff, we have faculty who really are embodying what that means. But most importantly, we have students that really believe in it. And and, and does that mean that, that they're uh, protesting? Does that mean that they are um, sharing their feelings? Yes, it does. Um, and, and I also believe it's important for us uh, as leaders of, of the campus to create that space so that they can do that, so they feel comfortable, so they, they feel uh, safe to be able to do that, to be able to share their concerns um, and, and, and not be as if well, if, if I say this, then it's going to come back at me uh, somehow, some way, uh, whether it be a grade or whether it be how I'm treated in the conduct or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, it, it's, it's that piece. The, you know, I mentioned conduct. You know, conduct being one of my responsibilities, that's the one thing that I need to do internally is to, as I have issues, maybe that may not be directly connected that emotion that still is in there might drive a student to behave in a way that normally they wouldn't, I need to be able to step back and I need to be able to say, okay, I'm going to deal with the, the behavior, yes, but let's also talk about the why behind it. Uh, and, and I've said that even, even as, a, as we watched, you know, uh, a week ago, you know, all the rioting and everything, okay, I, I can sit here and I can say rioting is wrong. You know, burning down a building is wrong. There, I said it. But what? What good is that? You know, what good is just saying that? What good is acknowledging that if we don't focus in on why they're doing those things and and spend the, the bulk of our time on 
the why behind the behavior. So from a conduct perspective on our campus, being able to say, yeah, your behavior was wrong and we've got to deal with it. We're going to sanction, we're going to do all that. However, let's talk about the why behind that. Let's spend time in that space. And I think uh, Abigail Benson, our manager of student rights and responsibilities, is going to be exceptional in being able to do that. Uh, I hope that I can also kind of assist in that space as well. Uh, so I, I think that's where Black Lives Matter can really impact us as an institution uh, and, and changing the mindset of, of the campus, changing, changing how we view race on our campus. We, we talk about being a very racially diverse campus and you know, we're a minority serving, we're a Hispanic serving institution. And yes, those things are great. But the question becomes, do our policies and do our practices really highlight the fact that that's who we are? That's and, and I don't know, I can't answer it. I don't know that that is the case. So, uh, you know, being able to question some of that, I think is, is where we need to go. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Yes. So, um, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, Guy, um, we were really, Andrea and I talk a lot about these things. <laughs> this is something that we're very passionate about as colleagues. And so we tend to have we tend to get excited when we see other people talking about these things in ways that feel familiar and powerful. And um, about a week ago, you sent an email out to campus and in it, you had some really nuanced language. You know, how are we talking about these protests? How are we, what are we labeling them? And so we wanted to know, do you have any suggestions for, how our faculty and staff can improve the way we communicate and discuss race and racism and oppression on our own local campus? I think first and foremost, um, we're educators uh, and, and we, need to, we need to do what educators do or we, what we hope educators do, which is uh, be, be cautious and careful, but be genuine. Um, if you have a feeling don't hide it. Share that feeling, but understand that when you do, it has an impact, and how you share it has an impact. And 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 I think uh, you know, thinking back to the email that I said, it was not necessarily uh, uh, a direct response or indirect response to what our president had put out. I just wanted to clarify, uh, you know, because there there are those who may have read that email and just skipped over that uh, that separator, if you will. And I'll be honest, I did a, the first time I read it, and that kind of got to me. But then I like, let me read that again because I'm not real sure that's what it said. So in doing so, then I saw that separation, and I recognized that. Um, however, I also felt it was important for me to go ahead and move forward with that initial feeling that I had, because I know there were those that did not recognize that separation. Uh, you know, the separation of senseless and, and tying that senseless to the protests, when in actuality, as I'm put in there, protesting is not senseless. Protesting is a means of communicating. Protest is a way to be heard when you don't feel as if you're being hurt. 
And and I'll even take it one step further to say rioting is very similarly a way to be heard when you don't feel as if you're being heard. It's just a negative way of doing it. And again, if if need be, let's call rioting wrong. But we've spent that time, we've called it wrong. Now let's set that aside and talk about the why behind it. So and and the why behind writing, the why behind protesting, very similar. You're not being heard. We're not being heard. And it's important for us to be heard. It's important for us to use words that express that. When we talk about emerging from a situation like this, it's concerning because that means we want to just kind of set it aside. We want to, we want to just move past it. Mm-hmm. This is that space of discomfort that we need to sit in for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. We need to be here because if we just set it aside and continue to move you know, through as if nothing happened or that's history, that's in the past, the question becomes, what did we, not, not just what did we learn from it, but what did we do with it? And if we move past it too quickly, we haven't given ourselves a time and, or a chance to do anything with it. So it's important for us to kind of sit in that discomfort space. Uh, I, one of my friends sent me a, a picture that talked about uh, allyship. And it said, you know, an, an authentic ally is someone who sits in discomfort. Mm-hmm. who recognizes that they have a perspective and that perspective comes from privilege mm-hmm. or that perspective comes from being in the majority group. But to be an authentic ally, you need to recognize that and then be in that space. And because it's not about you, it's about someone else. Mm-hmm. It's about that group that you are not a part of, but that you are an ally to. And I think that's where that's what what our, our our white brothers and sisters that's that space that that they need to be in because that then shows us as as Black Americans that you see us that you heard us that you care about us that you want to change with us instead of oh I'm just going to push it past and go back to the way it was because I liked the way it was and it was all about me. Yeah. So we, we have to be able to be in that space. And, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of piggyback on that. It's also, it's also, it's very, and Summer and I, you know, we've done the presentations on, mm-hmm. on um, race and racism, but a lot of times we, what we found is that it's so uncomfortable, I will say for white people to some are okay. They want to, you know, they want to mm-hmm. learn, they want to understand, and they're trying their best, but there's some that, that discomfort is so much so that they just don't want to go there. Right. And rather focus on the rioting, the looting, rather than focus on a man who was killed in front of our eyes. Right. That's troubling, and I understand. I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and even that, even to focus on George Floyd is the moment. Yes. That's focusing in on the moment. And I think it's important to do that yes. and spend some time there. But also connected to that is those that were before that we've pushed aside. We need to yes. bring them back up. Yes. Because those moments are just as important as exactly. this one. This is just we need one to kind of, this, yeah. Exactly. This is just one of them. 
and we need to look at all of those situations. You know, I, I think of, you know, my son that I talked about, he wrote uh, about Mamie Till, uh, Emmett Till's mother. And uh, he did a, did a, uh, a report on her and I was very frustrated uh, with the way that his school handled that situation because, you know, it was a pictorial and he, he felt it was important to show a picture of Emmett Till alive, yes, but also to show the picture of Emmett Till deceased as his mother felt that, that, that it was important for that to, to be seen. And so he, he had this poster board and he put those pictures up. Well, his teacher told him, well, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to, to put this up in the hallway along with the other students' presentations. And, and, you know, dad just kicked in. Dad said, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Help me understand what the issue is. Well, we, we have young kids who walk the halls, and we, we're not real sure we want them to see that. But it's okay to have it in a textbook. It's okay to have a, have a picture of a black man hanging in a tree in a textbook, and, and you're not censoring that but you're going to censor this very specific image of brutality and racism so that you're comfortable. And so that the, the little kids around us and the, the high schoolers are comfortable. That's, that's, what we're, that's where we are. That's what's called systemic racism. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what needs to change. That's what, that's, the, that's what we need to impact both on our campus, in our communities, and in our country. That's what we need to impact right there. Thank you. So I know I've got, you- I've got some stories. <laughs> I think we all do, yes. Yes. Yeah, we appreciate it. So I, um, I think you might have touched on it, but in case we didn't capture all of it, I know you do certain things that keep you grounded, but how do you establish a sense of normalcy when, with all of this? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll say I'm fortunate. Uh, I've got a beautiful wife who really loves reading and really loves studying. Uh, she, is, uh, she is the woke one in our family, um, but she's also white. Um, and she's really done her best to understand my culture. She's done her best to read and, and to really drive. And, and I think over the last maybe four or five years, I've really watched her um, soak in as much as she can, even more than I know about. I mean, she's educating me on things. It's like, huh. So you talk about how do I, how do I get that sense of normalcy? Well, that's, that's our house. That's what, you know, we talk about these things. We, you know, we have conversations at the dinner table around uh, varying topics. Uh, and so uh, just because I don't go to work, that hasn't changed that piece of it. And it's great because we can still uh, educate one another through our own experiences. Um, and, and um, you know, one of, the, one of the gifts that we give all of our high school graduates, all the high school graduates we know uh, is uh, the, um, I think it's like an anthology of Martin Luther King's sermons. Uh, and she goes through and she uh, tabs key phrases out of each of those sermons. I mean, she spends so much time just kind of putting little bookmarks in there um, with the hopes that these graduates, when they're writing a, writing a paper for one of their college classes, they have this connection. They already have it. They have this, you know, this anthology of what it means to be 
living in black America uh, and trying to change the race relations, they have this. And so we talk about that. We talk about those sermons. You know, um, I'm looking at right now, the other America, his, his sermon on the other, other America right now. You, you know, people don't understand that. Uh, and and uh, I think that's, you know, having that always in front of us uh, allows me to be grounded. Uh, you know, we don't watch a lot of TV, so it's conversation. It's music. It's, you know, just being, I like to say, I like to be. Uh, and and that's, where, that's where that sense of normalcy and that connectedness uh, comes from. And we're always learning. We're always learning about something. Um, and most of the time it's about, you know, the, the, the culture that we live in uh, and, and how it's impacting us as a family and how it's impacting us as a society. I want to hang out at your house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on over, Summer. <laughs> this next question is so weird right now in the moment we are because it made sense like three weeks ago. And now... Okay doesn't. So okay. the question is, what do you miss about life before COVID-19 or life before spring 2020? Sure. I, I think more than anything, just the connections at work. Uh, I miss uh, seeing, uh, seeing the people. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, what I'm finding is I get a tremendous amount of work done now because I don't have the quote-unquote distraction of being up and around and, and mingling, if you will, with staff, forming those relationships and really fostering those relationships. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I miss right now is uh, fostering those relationships. Um, and, and the other, the other uh, I, I think, vain thing that I really miss is the fact that um, I think it was the second week of March yeah, I think it was the second week of March, I bought a new truck, uh, and it sat in my garage for like two months <laughs> before I could even drive it because we were on quarantine. Yeah, you can so, <laughs> Right. So, you know, I, and then finally, I, I just got to the point where I, I, I told my wife, I was like, let's just go for a drive. She's like, where are we going? I was like, I don't know. I don't care. I just need to get out of the house. I need to go. And, and just kind of see and take in, you know, the fresh air, take in the space, you know? Yeah, we sit in our backyard, but there's nothing like just kind of hopping in the car and just rolling down the windows and just kind of rolling down, you know, down the interstate, going nowhere. Because um, you always know how to get home. That's you know, it's how far, away can, how far away from home can you get before it's time to go back home? So, and, and I'd miss that. I really did. So um, when you think about the future, what are you hoping for and what are you fearful of? Sure. Um, and, and talking a little bit about this before, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm fearful of just that uh, reversion uh, back to where we were before um, George Floyd's murder, before um, the protest, uh, before uh, – the riots, uh, and the conversations that have spawned from that. Uh, I'm fearful that those conversations get sat on a shelf uh, and they're written about in, in a history book and then we're back to America as it was before. Um, but I'm also hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful that uh, this experience has 
uh, enlightened, uh, those of us who uh, believe ourselves to be educated, um, to where we can uh, be able to use our voice and speak on behalf of those that are voiceless or seem to be or think they're voiceless because not there's not one of us that is voiceless. It's a matter of whether or not we feel comfortable sharing our voice. Um, so I, I fear that, that we don't create that space for the, the voiceless to be heard. Uh, I fear that um, we who believe we know better talk over those who have lived experiences and so we don't listen and we go and we, we start making uh, all of these changes thinking that there are improvements when in actuality they may not be because we did not listen to those who are being directly impacted. Um, and I think we do that on the consistent all the time. Um, but again, our heart's in the right place, but we just don't listen. And, and I think that's the hope. The hope is that we slow down, we close our mouths, and we just listen. We create space. So those who believe that they have no voice can have a voice, can share that voice. And then we who are in positions to do something about it actually step up and do something about it. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's time for us to do that. Um, we, would, we would be remiss if we did not take this opportunity to make it an impact that it can be and that it already has been. You know, you look at what's happening in Minnesota. Uh, that's, if nothing else, the conversation happening is huge. And if the conversation happens in Minnesota, where's the next conversation going to happen? You know, governors are talking about, well, you know, I think reform needs to be discussed. I'm not real sure that we're going to completely defund. And, and Okay, that's fine. At least you've started the conversation. Exactly. Because starting that conversation then allows, as I like to say, allows learning to happen. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, when I was in the classroom, when I was teaching, I always told my students, my job is to open up the table and allow you to throw all of your opinions on that table. And let's mix them all around. Let's talk about them. Let's kind of live in that, that space. Again, that, live in that discomfort. But then... Let's then start picking out what makes sense. Let's talk about how this makes sense versus that, or compare and contrast, or let's ultimately come to an agreement that either the ideas that are on the table are similar and we can kind of run with it, or that they're so diverse that we need to come up with a better idea. And let's do that together. And then once we've done that, let's go apply it. Because learning doesn't happen until you apply it. And I think that's where, where we are now. We can, we can sit in a town hall meeting. We can have a, a workshop and everything. Those are all great learning opportunities. The question is, are we going to apply that to our everyday lives and to the, to the situations that we live in? And I think that's where my hope is that we can do that. We can be in those spaces of discomfort, learn, listen, and then take it and go apply it. Well, I'm hoping. I'm really hoping. Yes. <laughs> I'm hoping. Guy, we only have a couple more questions for you. Um, the, last, the next one is our last formal question, and that is, if you were to find yourself listening to an episode of this podcast, 
what would you want to hear from others around the country about their experiences of living and learning and teaching during this quarantine era while we also have such social upheaval in our country? Sure. I think one of the things that, that I would like to hear through this podcast really is um, how is it that this time is impacting individuals and how do, how do we take that information and transform it into change? Um, you know, it's great to talk about, you know, what we see and talk about how, how, it, how it's hitting us. But the question is, how do we make that and turn that into real change? You know, how do we, how do we create, uh, create those avenues where people who don't feel comfortable sharing their opinions are comfortable sharing their opinions? Um, and, and, and that's one thing. The other thing uh, is I would love to be able to hear individuals who you're interviewing share their lived experiences uh, and, and be able to talk about, okay, yeah, I, we see this in the news, but how does that connect to what you've lived? How does that connect to your personal experience so that we can also learn from you in, in that perspective as well? Guy, before you go, um, if people wanted to reach you, can they email you? Do you have a social media presence? Um, how can people get in, in touch with you? I am the worst on social media. Uh, I actually have an alias that I'm not going to share on social media. Uh, but the best way to get in touch with me is just to send me an email. Uh, and you can send that email to me uh, at, at my work address, uh, which is guy.goodman at southmountaincc.edu. Uh, and, you know, I always have it on my hip, so I'm always uh, reading. And, and, you know, as, as, I, as I put out uh, in response to one of my son's uh, Instagram posts, um, as I was commenting on something that someone had commented on him, it's like, I know that there's going to be positives, positives and negatives. And I'm okay with that. People who know me know that I don't mind. So if you, if you have comments that are um, in line with what I believe in, I want to hear them. If you have comments that maybe don't line up with what I, what I've shared, I want to hear that too, because that's part of learning. That's part of me learning. That's part of me growing. I am not an expert by any stretch. I, I don't want to be seen as an expert. I'm, I'm just living and experiencing this as, as everyone else is, uh, but I'm also human, which means I have a perspective. Uh, and, you know, I, I like to say, not right, not wrong, but maybe different. Well, guy, I don't know what to say, but you have been <laughs> delightful. Oh, thank you. We have learned a lot here, and sure, my colleague can say the same thing, and, you know, I love your passion and appreciate you. The time to share thank that. you thank you well I, I i appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with the two of you i i miss you guys i miss seeing you on campus and yes. being around you so i look forward to the opportunity to be back on campus where we can uh, kind of where we can have these conversations in person yeah. uh, where we can you know we can work together uh, to build south mountain community college into what it it can be i think and what our community needs to be Yes. needs it to be, needs us to be uh, for the community. And, and I think it, it's coming. It, it's coming. So I, I look forward to that and look forward to working with you on that. Yes, definitely. And I would wave, but they say, who? Why does everybody wave? 
Yeah, yeah, who waves at the end of the meeting, right? When you leave a meeting, butterflies! You can find us at southphoenixoralhistory.com. Send us an email at historysouthmountain at gmail.com or find us on social media at SMCC History. Music provided by Jake and Emily Speck.